Nurture, Episode 3, Luann Kerrig's Use of Multiple Intelligences in the Classroom. Welcome to Nurture, an early childhood development podcast, bringing you multiple perspectives on the development of young children and their families, best practices for early childhood professionals, and where parents and all kinds of families are welcome. I am Mark Gardner, host of the show. I'm a clinical social worker, and my specialty is early childhood mental health. I work as a psychotherapist with young children and their families, and as a mental health consultant to a number of child care and preschool programs in the Washington, D.C. area. On today's show, I'll be talking to Luann Kerrig about how to utilize multiple intelligences in the classroom. Multiple intelligences is an idea and theory created by Dr. Howard Gardner that looks at humans as having many ways of being intelligent. This is in contrast to just looking at intelligence as a thinking or cognitive ability, commonly summed up as our IQ. A multiple intelligences perspective includes considering children's and adults' other abilities that impact our functioning, like our kinesthetic, interpersonal, and artistic intelligences. Luann outlines the seven intelligences and discusses how to integrate these into daily practices in the classroom. To do this, she recommends that teachers understand their own intelligences profile and then, through careful observation, gets to know the intelligences profiles of the children in their classroom. Thereafter, teachers can create activities and experiences that fully integrate all the different ways children learn. This not only leads to children who feel respected and valued for who they are, but helps children behave better and learn to love school. Luann has many years of experience as a preschool teacher and is currently director of St. Paul's Lutheran Church Preschool in Falls Church, Virginia. Additionally, she provides professional development seminars on this topic. She has provided one of her handouts called the Multiple Intelligences Pie for those in the listening audience who may be more visually oriented and who might want to follow along during our conversation. This can be found at the website nurturepodcast.com backslash episode three. Again, that's nurturepodcast.com backslash episode three. You'll also find their links to other resources Luann mentions in the show. To get in touch with Luann, please email her at luann.carig at gmail.com. That's Luann, L-U-A-N-N dot Carig, C-A-R-R-I-G at gmail.com. After our conversation about multiple intelligences, Luann and I talk a bit about how she got into teaching and some of her greatest influences as a teacher. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please email me at mark at nurturepodcast.com or visit the website nurturepodcast.com. I hope you enjoy the show. So Luann, welcome to Nurture Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, we met at a professional development event at a local preschool, and I was intrigued by a conversation you were having with a teacher that had just heard your presentation, and, and that's how I found out about your topic. So tell me the title of the talk you were presenting that day. Well, the title of the workshop that I was presenting is uh, Help, That Child's Humming is Driving Me Crazy. <laughs> and why, and why, did you, why do you title your talk uh, that way? Well... 
um, because uh, in the in the classroom there are um, children and habits that we see on a regular basis that sometimes do just absolutely drive us crazy. And one of them is, for real, a child who hums or sings all day long. And having had this happen to me many times in the classroom, um, I decided I needed to figure out exactly what was going on. <laughs> so, and then how did that lead into this idea of um, multiple intelligences? Well, at the probably around the same time, um, I... Uh, believe I was taking a college course and um, was introduced to Dr. Howard Gardner and um, his book uh, on multiple intelligences. And it began to fascinate me having my own children, seeing that um, they were all very, very different. Um, And so I spent a lot of time reading every book I could get my hands on, reading all the websites that have his work published on, and just um, understanding that um, while what we used to define as intelligence being an IQ number um, really isn't necessarily the best way to approach learning with young children. So tell me briefly what multiple intelligences are. Well, Dr. Garner tells us in his research that um, many of us learn in many different ways and that we can, by observing, um, begin to understand uh, the various intelligences that we display. Um, for example, um, my highest intelligence is my musical intelligence, um, but I'm also um, probably score very high in interpersonal uh, oh. intelligence as well. So Dr. Gardner says that there are seven or eight different intelligences that we all exhibit some traits and characteristics. And before we jump into uh, the intelligences in detail, I was just curious, and, and you alluded to this a little bit already, so what, what got you interested in exploring this concept of multiple intelligences? Well, I, I know in observing or, or having worked in the classroom and having to observe young children that um, it's really, really important, probably more so uh, than intelligence, to help children walk away every day with feeling good about themselves, feeling like they've accomplished something, feeling like they're smart, feeling like they're really, really good good, good kids. And I found that um, sometimes the obstacles in the classroom or or opportunities of learning in the classroom that maybe weren't something that they preferred to do um, made them frustrated, made them feel like they weren't smart enough, made them feel like they lacked something. And so um, I began to intentionally try to provide experiences in the classroom that kind of hit all cylinders to help the children um, be able to walk away at the end of the day and feel good about what they had done. Wow. So it really was um, an effort on your part to make sure that you were addressing every child's experience during the day in a very robust way. 
Right. And if we, if we look, if we take that even further, when we look at best practices in the field of early childhood education, that should be our main goal, is to make sure that we are providing um, opportunities for all of the children in our care, just not maybe just two or three or 10, but if we have 15 in the classroom, we need to be sure that we're providing um, what they need at that point in their development. So this is really about developmentally appropriate practices and differentiating education for all the kids that are in your classroom. That's correct. Instead of just taking one approach, um, taking many approaches to hit all areas and all levels of the development that we see. Right. And so you found then that Dr. Gardner's and multiple intelligences concept is, is helpful in that area. Absolutely. I'm not sure that... Um, Every early childhood uh, professional or uh, people even in, in higher level learning uh, might agree with me, but I think there is um, just so much possibility um, for children and them starting off on a really positive um, approach to uh, school and academics and just learning about life um, that his theory provides us. Great. So let's jump into the in more detail to Dr. Gardner's intelligences. Um, so how many intelligences are there according to Dr. Gardner? Well, currently there are eight intelligences that he has um, identified and feels like he has research to support them. But I understand through my reading that he continues to be open to the possibility of there being more. Okay, great. Um, so what are the eight intelligences that uh, he he's, has most of the evidence for? Okay. So the first one is uh, that he talks about is our um, logical mathematical intelligence. And I think we see that a lot um, in uh, the classroom, children who are more geared towards math uh, concepts. We see the bodily kinesthetic uh, intelligence, which is um, probably the child that you see moving around a lot in class. You see the child with spatial intelligence, and that child is the child who um, really enjoys doing puzzles on the floor, really gets what's going on around them. Uh, we see the child with musical intelligence. That's the child who just can't wait to go to music and movement. Um, we also see the interpersonal uh, intelligence. These are the children who are very quiet. Generally, your introverted children who take a lot of time to sit back and think about things. Um, some of us in the early childhood profession might even call these the slow to warm children. Then we have the intrapersonal um, intelligence, and this is what I call your Dear Abby or your chatterbox, um, always wanting to talk, always meeting the needs of other children. We also have the uh, naturalist. Um, these are the children that would prefer to be outdoors all of the time. Um, they love animals. They love trees. They love plants. And I think that's it. All right, great. Um, so I, um, I like the way you gave me some of the examples of um, how we might see these and in, um, interactions with um, children on a daily basis. Um, and I'd like to talk about that in a little bit, a little bit more in a moment. I was just curious. So, can you tell tell us a little bit about how and why Dr. Gardner came up with this idea of multiple intelligences? 
Well, I think he um, has always um, been drawn to research that um, supports that we're not all alike as people. And um, I know that he spent many, many years, um, many research studies on developing these intelligences. And I really feel like that he looked um, at being a professor at uh, Harvard and and being in the classroom as well, um, just saw his own students sometimes struggle with um, just having someone stand at the front of the room and present a lecture um, and began to think that he needed to provide more than just him standing there and lecturing. And he began to do his research and find that people, we do have preferences in the way that we learn. Okay. And um, and then, so from that idea, then he started to write about this a little bit more. And um, what what is he trying to convey, I guess, like in the books that you've read? Like what are what are some of his main points, I guess, that he's trying to get across to people? Well, I think the, the one thing, and I think it resonated um, with me so greatly, is that so many times, um, as even as adults, as we go into learning situations, um, we are having to learn information in a way that um, is has no meaning to us. And when I say has no meaning to us, it's just not interesting to us. The best example I can give you is that I can vividly remember being in elementary school, middle school, high school, and some of the best days of learning that I had in that time were the times that I got to go on a field trip where I got to go and I got to actually experience what I was learning. I got to see it. I got to hear it. I got it. I got to touch it. I got to feel it. And then I got, I, I was able to write about it or express what I learned. And so it wasn't that I was just sitting in a classroom looking at a textbook or, um, listening to a teacher lecture me about the the subject. It was that I got to experience it. And I think Dr. Gardner is telling us that when children can experience what we are asking them to learn, that in a way that is within their intelligence, that that will be something that they will have with them for a lifetime. And I guess it also reminds me a bit of the uh, trend of late in education circles, and we've been seeing this in preschool settings too, of the of a higher emphasis on the academic. I was just wondering about how you would think about that and relate to, to what Dr. Gardner is emphasizing. Well, I think it's sad that we're asking um, any child up to age seven or eight um, to focus their um their lives around academics because um, there's so many studies and research that has been done out there that show that children generally catch up to each other by a fourth grade or so. And so I think, um, you know, I'm certainly an advocate for play-based preschool programs that that's what children understand. It's their work. It's how they, how they, how they operate in life. It's what they know. And play gives them an opportunity um, to try out new things, try out new language, try out new skills. Um, And I think Dr. Gardner is saying just that, um, allowing children to um, learn, for lack of a better word, in a setting that is 
comforting. Um, that's not scary for them. And if it is in a way that that meets their intelligence, then it won't be scary. It'll be an opportunity for them, and they'll feel good about giving giving something a try. Okay, great. So let's um, give uh, the teachers and other professionals and parents in the audience a little bit of a taste of kind of what these intelligences are. So if we're looking at our, our children, either in the classroom or at home, so tell me a little bit, pick a few of the intelligences and tell me kind of what, what kind of behaviors or things we might be observing. Well, you know, I can only, I always go back to things that I know best, and I go back to my own children, and I always use them. I when I do uh, when I present this workshop to early childhood professionals, um, I talk about my children a lot because, well, it's kind of payback a little bit, but uh, <laughs> now I do. Um, I I know them best. Um, but for example, my oldest daughter is very um, logical, mathematical. Um, even as an adult, you will often find her carrying around a Sudoku book. Um, she was one who was counting objects as we were driving down the road, going places. Everything for her was a number. Um, and she is extremely, um, her, you know, mathematical, logical uh, intelligence is way, way up there. But on the other side of it, um, she's also an artist. So her creative side is there as well. And that comes very, very high um, as she looks at what she uh, liked to do as a child. Um, but I do, I do laugh about how the fact that she counted everything. So clearly, that was her, her most uh, predominant um, intelligence. Then I have... Um, I have four children. I'll go quickly. Then I have my uh, intrapersonal child who who was the dear Abby um, in school all the time. This she had friends out the wazoo. I, she always had people who were calling her to talk to her, um, and she's a very good listener. So she was uh, she was my intrapersonal. Then my other daughter is an interpersonal. So she was the one that um, always was writing in a journal or drawing. pictures pictures in a journal, very quiet, um, would stand back and kind of watch the others. Um, but and then my son uh, falls into the bodily kinesthetic uh, group. And um, this is a, a, a young man now who even uh, still now likes to be on the move. So I guess I was wondering um, about for classroom teachers, then, what are some ways that they can get to know the children in their classroom and how they're manifesting these different intelligences? Well, I do think, you know, when we're looking at maybe children who are three years old, that um, it could be a more difficult process for them um, just because they're three. Um, but when we're looking at children in the preschool setting that are four and five years old, I think these intelligences are beginning to emerge. So um, if we see a child who uh, tends to gravitate maybe towards the block center, that child um, would more than likely fall into probably more of a mathematical, logical blocks, putting them together to create something, um, organizing them and patterns, um, which we see a lot. Um, If we're looking at a child who maybe gravitates to dramatic play, uh, quite a bit. That could be our bodily kinesthetic child. That could also be our intrapersonal child who likes to talk a lot. Um, then if we see a child who um, 
often wants to go and sit in our book corner, our literacy center. That could be our interpersonal child who likes to sit quietly and look at books and kind of absorb the information that they are they're processing. Um, and a child who gravitates to puzzles a lot has definitely is demonstrating a high intelligence um, and spatial awareness. That's great. And I was um, also thinking about um, what I know you've said about misbehavior. So tell us a little bit about how misbehavior might help us understand a child's profile. Right. Well, um, Dr. Thomas Armstrong has written several books regarding uh, Dr. Garner's theory. And um, what um, what Dr. Armstrong challenges us to do as educators, um, if we really want to understand where a child's uh, intelligence lies, that we go and we look at their mis behavior, because that's generally their preferred intelligence. And if we take the time to look at that and then realize that that's something they're missing, then we can take that, flip it, and make it a positive by affording and providing that child with an opportunity that meets their intelligence rather than not having an opportunity there for learning that is causing them to not have anything to focus on in the classroom. And does he also talk a little bit about how sometimes we'll see children who are almost um, preoccupied with a certain activity because that's that one of their stronger intelligences? Yes, a little bit. Um, I think we have to be careful with that because, um, you know, young children, again, there's a lot going on as they're developing and growing. Um, and we need to encourage them to try new experiences. Um, but again, if we're asking them to try a new experience, we probably need to do it in a way that is meeting uh, the needs of where their intelligence lies rather than just providing one way. Um, but yes, I think children sometimes do gravitate to things that um, feel comfortable for them, that they're not afraid of, that um, are easier for them. So um, while we want to do that, um, we also want to challenge them and encourage them to step out because I think the worst thing that we can do for children is not ask them to step outside of their comfort area um, and try to spread their wings a little bit. So to get to that, I I was um, curious what you think is one of the most important things for classroom teachers to do first uh, to help try to um, start fostering these different intelligences in the te- in the children in their care. Well, I think the first thing we have to do is be intentional about um, um, our observations and taking time to do that and do that with care. And um, a lot of times uh, there are assumptions that are made, and I think we have to be careful not to assume uh, that we know a child, um, we have to be, like I said, I think we have to be very intentional about our observations. And then based on what we are seeing in the population of our classroom, um, it's our job to be intentional about, about providing activities and opportunities that meet the various intelligences within the population. And I think you've, um, said this, um, before too, that, um, that 
teachers are the instrument, and so what do they need to know about themselves to help help uh, understand other children's uh, or children in their care and their intelligences? Well, I think there's a whole shift in this, and at least I hope there is a shift in this that we've kind of um, begun to move from. Um, sort of the director in the classroom to more of uh, the creative director, let's say, in the classroom. And I think what we have to know about ourselves first is what are our intelligences and what are our strengths. Because like anything, we are more geared towards what is comfortable for us. So I think it's important for teachers to begin to understand where their intelligences lie, know that if that is a preference for them, most likely they're providing more of those experiences in the classroom, and then begin to make adjustments so that there are not children in the classroom um, that are not having an opportunity every day to be the best they can be. And what are some of the tools that Dr. Gardner or other professionals that use his theory, what do they provide to for teachers to help teachers understand themselves better? Well, there are, um, if you go on the website, if you Google uh, multiple intelli- intelligences self-exam, uh, there is an adult learner um, free online uh, that you can take to find out where your intelligences lie. Um, the great thing is, and I don't think we talked about this a bit before, but we all exhibit all of the intelligences. It's really just where our preferences are. And what are some of the main factors that lead to us developing an intelligence? Well, I think, again, it's about stepping outside of our comfort zone. Um, I can't say that uh, math and science were high on my list. And so um, the more opportunities that I can experience with math and science, the easier that becomes for me. So the same thing is, is um, applies in the classroom. So um, we want to provide all types of learning experiences in the classroom that help children to grow in those areas that aren't at the top of the list. And I think um, in terms of development, there are particular aspects of each of us that contribute to de- developing or having certain preferences or intelligences. What are those main things that we you know, that contribute to those, that development of the intelligences? So the things that we have to remember when we're looking at intelligences is that there are factors that can curb where we are in that. So one of the main things, of course, is genetics. Um, And we see that quite often um, in children who have very, very high IQs. Um, you know, we, we see that parents, the parents are very, very bright as well. Some of the other, um, factors and one of the main factors I think that I, I find, um, kind of sad is what our past experiences have been. And so as teachers, we have a huge responsibility, um, especially in young children who this is probably their first experience in a school setting, um, and will set the pace for the rest of their life, um, not to, um, to be too harsh or too hard on children, um, because if we think back to our own experiences in school, there were teachers that um, didn't make us feel good about ourselves. And so that stays with us for a very long time, sometimes long, long into adulthood. 
So that's another factor that can sometimes shape where we are. Um, and so again, it's so important, um, especially in the early childhood setting, to um, help children just be able to be the best that they can be every day that they're in our care. And you label the multiple intelligences the eight pathways for learning. Why is that? Because I think instead of just looking at one or two ways, when we look at eight ways of learning, what a wonderful opportunity we have, um, not only for the children, but for ourselves, if we can broaden our definition of um, learning and how we learn, um, there's great things that could happen. Rather than just looking at textbooks or looking at reading books or when we, when we talk to, to parents who are so eager for their children to read and write, if we start to learn at, or look at some of those other pathways of learning, like nature and the arts and the creative part of it, there's just so much out there and so many opportunities for young children. Great. So let's get into what teachers can do in the classroom um, and just uh, following up on what you say about these eight different pathways, like um, teachers are all different, just like the rest of us. And, and I was wondering how you think teachers generally are stronger in some intelligences or weaker in others. Well, I don't like to pigeonhole anyone, but I think um, I think a, a, a majority of the teachers fall into probably the more logical, mathematical, the very structured. Um, thinking process. And I hope that um, this is now being recognized by the teachers that they need to begin to develop their other intelligences so that they are able to meet the needs of every child who's in their care. Um, And sometimes it is hard to come out of a very structured um, way of thinking where you're managing a classroom, you're managing children, um, and moving into a more creative um, way of leading a classroom and teaching and exploring. Um, so I hope that the more educators who come and, and uh, be part of this type of workshop, that they'll see that those opportunities are there. And that's, again, and, and you'll cover that in your workshop, and then also some of those self-assessment uh, Correct. Um, resources that they can get on the web will right. help them um, both identify their strengths and, and their weaknesses. Absolutely. Again. Um, and again, for each teacher, it's going to be different, um, and then that's why that self-assessment is so important. Right. So let's talk about um, one of the things you do in your workshop is talk about the fun ways to implement these intelligences with the children in a, in a classroom. So go ahead and um, pick a few of the intelligences and give me some of those ideas of how, how teachers can, can integrate it. Sure. Well, I was um, thinking about this today before we um, were beginning to uh, record this podcast. And I thought, well, we're here in the fall and we're talking about um, – harvest and pumpkins and apples and all of those wonderful things. And so um, one of the ways I, you know, if we take the subject of apples, um, one of the ways that you could help a child who um, ex- demonstrates a spatial and bodily kinesthetic um, intelligence is provide them an art experience, give them a bowl of, of uh, apple seeds and paper and glue and tweezers and encourage the children to pick up the seeds with the tweezers, dip them in glue and place them 
onto their collage. So it's a creative process. And for the Bali kinesthetic child, um, they can still move around a bit while they're doing that. Um, for a child who is demonstrating a musical or naturalist intelligence, set up a listening center and give children a bowl of apple seeds and encourage children to place the seeds in plastic containers of various sizes. And then once they've filled them up, ask them to shake them and ask questions about, is that one louder? Is that one softer? Do you think that one has more seeds? Does that one have fewer seeds? Um, For your interpersonal um, learner, um, you need to provide lots of books in your in your book center or your book nook so that they have an opportunity to go and sit quietly and just look at books about apples and how they grow and how. And then if you um, want to meet the need of your intrapersonal uh, learner, then provide a dramatic play scenario that's an apple orchard where children can go and pretend like they're picking apples. So there's just so many ways that we can take just one idea or one theme and incorporate it into all of the, all of the uh, learning intelligences. Well, I think, Luann, I'm ready to go to the orchard now or to one of your classrooms. Sure. I, I can't decide. Yes. It sounds like fun in both of them. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and you have um, also kind of come up with, uh, I saw that you had a lesson plan for dealing with shapes. Would it be okay if you kind of talked a little bit about how you kind of take that idea and use the idea of multiple intelligence? Sure. So um, when I when I put together the lesson plan for shapes, I was thinking more of our younger children, our twos, our threes, who are beginning to learn about that. And so again, um, it's a little more difficult to um, determine where the intelligences lie. But the whole idea is that we provide a lot of opportunities. So um, if we are um, wanting to help children begin to learn their musical intelligence with shapes, we might have a variety of musical instruments, some that are triangle shapes, some that are round, some that are square. Um, Again, um, if we want them to begin to try to develop and expand their um, interpersonal um, intelligence, we would provide them with lots of books that have lots of shapes that they could look through and identify with the teacher. Um, Just looking around the room, playing I spy with them and calling out a shape and, and having them be able to move around. The bodily kinesthetic learner would love that. Um, so there's just so much that, again, that I feel like teachers can do in the, in the classroom setting that just really hit on all cylinders, which will encourage children to learn. You have a wonderful handout called the Multiple Intelligence Pie. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how you use that with teachers? Well, it's a great handout that um, I suggest uh, when I uh, in my workshop that teachers take back to the classroom and that they post it somewhere that they can uh, have it available to them and look at it on a regular basis. And actually what it is is... Uh, just the various intelligences and what they will see children doing in those particular um, specific intelligences. And it's just a reminder to us, um, really on a daily basis, that uh, children are all individuals and that we uh, just need to do our very, very best to meet their needs and meet them where they are. So, Luann, you um, include um, a quote in a lot of your talks by Howard Gardner. Could you go ahead and read that? 
Yes. Um, Dr. Gardner said that seven kinds of intelligence would allow seven ways to teach rather than one. And powerful constraints that exist in the mind can be mobilized to introduce a particular concept or whole system of thinking in a way that children are most likely to learn it and least likely to distort it. Paradoxically, constraints can be suggestive and ultimately freeing. Yeah, so tell, tell me a little bit more about what that means to you or what Dr. Gardner was trying to get to with that. Well, I, I think from a teaching standpoint, wow, it just gives us so much freedom to move away from uh, probably the old idea that um, we have to do all the talking and children have to do all the listening. That's the first thing. And then secondly, um, it's, it, it's wonderful to know that um, children and people um, all are intelligent, that we're not just looking and defining intelligence anymore as an, as an IQ, as a number. Um, I'm happy that we're moving away from that. Um, it doesn't uh, do a thing for me as a, as a preschool professional, um, and I'm so glad. And I, I think it will take the pressure off of parents as well. And then I think the most important thing that Dr. Gardner says in here is basically that um, children are given an opportunity to learn things in a context and a way that have meaning to them, um, rather than trying to figure it out because the teacher is teaching it in a way that is comfortable for them. So um, I am thrilled with Dr. Gardner's theory, and um, I am going to work hard to see if we can't uh, push this into more of our school settings, and hopefully teachers will begin to understand the value of it and um, see that the students who are in their care would have much greater success if they were allowed to learn in a way that had meaning to them. And I know you've been a director of a preschool for a number of years now. So how how have you seen using this uh, idea in your preschool progress? Well, you know, I encourage the teachers um, at St. Paul's to remember that, um, you know, all of us learn differently. And I think um, I think the tide is shifting as far as early childhood educators go, that we clearly understand that. We're beginning to see more and more of that. And I've seen in my particular program that teachers who are willing to take the time to really evaluate where the children, uh, where the children's intelligences lie within their group, and then therefore um, – put up and present to them experiences that meet those intelligences, we see far greater success. We see far more readiness to go on to kindergarten. We see far more readiness to move on to the next developmental level. And so it's it's wonderful. I think um, it also, on the flip side, when we're doing this, we have um, far less um, disruption. Children are are happy and, and that misbehavior um, sort of disappears. So by really looking at each child and making sure that your curriculum and daily activities meets their needs or meets them with where they are really can change um, how they feel about the day and their behavior improves. Absolutely. You know, we all know if we feel good about ourselves today, um, we're going to be much more productive. We're going to be a much better person in this world. So um, that's the goal.
Great. Um, I was curious if you could just review a little bit about some of the resources that would be available to teachers if they wanted to explore this more. Sure. Um, I'll give you um, a couple uh, to add to your website as a follow-up to that. Um, Dr. Thomas Armstrong writes um, a book called Seven Kinds of Smart, Identifying and Developing Your Multiple Intelligences. Um, He also writes a book titled Multiple Intelligences in the Classroom. I strongly recommend this for for teachers uh, to read. I love this one. If you're a parent who um, wants uh, to help your child improve in their self-esteem and their ability to learn, you're smarter than you think, a a kid's guide to multiple intelligence, um, also by Thomas Armstrong. And then last, a really great classroom resource um, is uh, starting with stories engaging multiple intelligences through children's books and that's by pam schiller and pat phipps great did you have any other um, ideas or frameworks for for teachers and and or directors as they're thinking about trying to integrate this into their program any other guidance um, or resources well as with everything take it slow Um, You know, if the first goal is just to read something about multiple intelligences, um, that's a great place to start. And I think once you um, kind of read about it, maybe take the self-assessment as an adult to find out where you are, um, you'll find value in it. And um, I knew a long time ago uh, when I put this workshop together, uh, one of the first times I presented it and had a, a young gal come up to me after the workshop, she was probably 20, 21 years old. And she said, thank you. This explains why I had such a hard time in school, because I didn't fall in the intelligence as is kind of defined. And she said, but it's so great to know that I can walk out of here today and know that I am intelligent. That's great. That's so nicely said. Um, is there anything else, uh, Luann, you'd like to talk about in terms of multiple intelligences that we haven't covered here today? I don't think so. Thank you so much for this opportunity to kind of get the word out um, about this great research and this great theory. That concludes my discussion about multiple intelligences with Luann Kerrig. It was wonderful to have her on the show. For more information about the topics she talks about, please go to nurturepodcast.com backslash episode three. To contact Luann, please email her at luann.carig at gmail.com. Again, that's Luann, L-U-A-N-N dot carig, C-A-R-R-I-G at gmail.com. What follows is a brief discussion with Luann about how she got into teaching and some of her influences as a teacher. Thanks so much for listening. So how did you get interested in early childhood education? Well, I kind of fell into it, um, having uh, gone to school and uh, earning my degree in vocal performance. Um, There um, is not a lot of paying jobs out there. Um, so I did in a sundry of other jobs, and uh, some time ago, my husband and I um, decided that we were going to adopt four children wow. all at the same time. Oh, my gosh. And uh, that meant that I could no longer work full time. Uh, and so um, I decided I would look into working part time as a, as a teacher and uh that's how I got started, and I loved it. I had a great mentor, and I just 
took off from there. Wow. Went back great. to school, got my degree. Excellent. Yep. Yeah. So, and what do you enjoy most about working in a preschool? I enjoy the fact that no two days are really ever alike. Um, I'm not afraid of change. And so, um, and I think it was an exercise to help me become more flexible in life. (laughs) And so that's been working. It has. And I love it. I love the children. I tell people all the time, there's no job that every day you have at least one or two people who come up, grab you around the legs, tell you how much they love you and how much they missed you. <laughs> Never had that in any other work setting. Yeah, I must say, as a mental health consultant, that's one of the things I really love yep. uh, the most. And just, um, in fact, it's really one of my favorite things yep. to do is to be in there and just because they're so excited and so happy and um and you're and special uh in their lives right. like every day so it's really it's really an honor to be yeah. in there too so it's, i'm glad you have that experience I too i'm not I the do. only one who's like it's this it's our own self-interest that's, that. that's right it is it is very yeah. selfish but um it boosts my ego every day yeah um who or what have been your biggest influences in your work with young kids um well as i said i i had a uh, i have and still go to her, a very, uh, a wonderful mentor, um, who really pushed me along and said, you know, you really need to think about going back to school, you need to think about um, getting a degree in early childhood education and development. Um, And um, I think what's really pushed me the most is just the joy I see every day um, in watching children um, explore and um, just see the wonder that they have. Um, and so it's helped me to continue to just we want be part of this profession. And um, so it drives me to continue being a learner and um, just knowing the most that I can know and understand about young children. And you said you've had a mentor that's been really helpful. Can I you have. say a little bit about like how, how that's influenced you? Well, um, I, as I said earlier, I kind of uh, went into the preschool setting um, because it was going to help financially, uh, help support our family um, and give me the time that I needed to be home with four children that we had adopted. And um, I just happened to be paired with her in the classroom. And uh, she had been in home, home daycare for many years. Um, but then had gone into the preschool setting. Uh, she herself had gone back to school um, to earn her um, degree in early childhood education and development. And she just um, encouraged me all along the way to just grow in the profession, uh, to learn as much as I could. She was uh, gentle in her approach with me when I'm sure there were days she really wanted to pull her hair out. Um, but um it was just a very nurturing um, relationship, and um, I appreciated it so much at the time because I really went into it um, knowing that I loved children and that I enjoyed being around them, but really having not one ounce of um, education that supported me really being in the classroom and helping children to be the very best that they could be. Wow, so. it just sounds like that was amazingly yeah. Uh, instrumental and in just your growth and development as Absolutely. an early childhood professional. And just sound like you lucked out I to did. kind of find her or just be paired up yeah, with her. I did. So that's really great. Yep. 